Well, friends, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. We're going to be in John 15, 12 to 17 this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us today, don't have a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one, not just to use for the next few minutes of our time together, but to have as your own. This is a book full of life. It's full of God's love. And it's full of promises from God to us that are all yes through his son, Jesus. So what we're going to talk about for the next little bit of time. And we'd love for you to be able to follow up on what you're going to hear today by reading in that book. Please take it and, and flip to John chapter 15. I want you to think about what we're going to do this morning. Is a, it's kind of a part two from last week's sermon. So I guess if you're visiting with us, I should also say... Uh, it would be great to go back and listen to what I talked about last week. It, this text is definitely closely connected to what we focused on last week, and it's all available online on our church's website. You can hear. So if you're intrigued a little bit by, by where we begin and the way that I unpack this section today, I do think it would be worth your time. Uh, last week's text that we considered at the first part of John chapter 15, uh, we, we saw that Jesus gives us one of the Bible's most powerful images for what it looks like to grow as a Christian. Christians want to grow. We come to Jesus for help to see our lives change. You don't come to Jesus if you think you got it all figured out. You don't come to Jesus if you think you're doing great all on your own. You come to Jesus because you need help. And Jesus helps Christians to grow. Last week, we, we saw him use this image of a vine and branches to help us understand how he helps Christians grow. He described himself as the vine. That's where the life is. That's where the nutrients are. And his people are like branches that are stuck into that vine. When they're in him, good things come out of their life. Like fruit, over time, they change. Kids out there, how many of you, raise your hand, if you've ever planted anything in your backyard, in your garden, any sort of fruit? I see a lot of hands out there. A lot of you have planted. We, we plant fruit sometimes in our backyard. Sam is usually our gardener. Loves cherry tomatoes. Loves to plant cherry tomatoes. He can mow through two plants worth at least all summer, all on his own. If you plant a cherry tomato plant, you know what comes off of it? Cherry tomatoes come off of it. Once we planted a strawberry plant, you know what came off of that strawberry plant? Strawberries. We've been thinking about getting a blueberry bush. I grew up with one. I mean one bigger than I am. Big, big blueberry bush. And it just sags with blueberries in the summertime. We love summertime blueberries. You know why we might want to plant a blueberry bush in our yard? Blueberries come off of blueberry bushes. That's why. So if Jesus is a vine and his people are the branches, what kind of fruit comes off that vine? What kind of fruit comes off the vine that is Jesus? If you're a strawberry plant, you bear strawberries. If you're a blueberry plant, you bear blueberries. And when you abide in Jesus, the fruit that you bear is love. When you abide in Jesus, the fruit that you bear is love. That's what Jesus shows us in verses 12 to 17. He's been talking about himself as the vine and his people as the branches. Now he's going to talk about what it looks like 
for his people to start looking like him, bearing the fruit that he bore. And I want to walk you through this beautiful little section in three steps. First, let me read it for you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. As I pick up in John 15, beginning in verse 12 and reading through verse 17. Here's what Jesus says to us. This, Jesus says, is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you'll love one another. This is God's word. You can be seated. First point this morning, guys. When you abide in this vine, you will love what Jesus loves. When you abide in the vine that is Jesus, the fruit that you'll bear is love. That will look like you loving what Jesus loves. I want to just, again, risk beating a dead horse. I want to drive you right back to the context for the section we're looking at today. Jesus has just been talking about fruit in the lives of his followers. What is he going to bring out of branches that are connected to him? And he's just described commands that he's given And our obedience to his commands as part of how he loves us and part of how we abide in his love. His commands are part of his love for us, showing us what is good and right, what will lead to flourishing for us and other people around us. And our obedience is how we open the present that is that command to us. That's what he's just said. Keeping his commands helps us abide in his love and enjoy the privilege of being led by somebody who knows better and leads better, and ultimately loves better than we do. We, we, we talked last week about his commands being not like a jail warden slamming shut the cell door to keep you in your place. It's, it's how he as a shepherd leads his sheep to the green pastures and the still waters. He's telling us for our own good what we ought to do and how we ought to be. He wants, he said in verse 11, he wants your joy to be full, just like his is. And what would give you full joy? What has he commanded that if we were to obey him, we'd have the joy that he has? What is this fruit that he will bring out in the lives of branches that are plugged into him? And it's as if Jesus says at this point, let me make this as simple as I can possibly make it. Let me boil it all down to one central command. This is my commandment. Verse 12. That you love one another. Three years of teaching. Three years of modeling for them. Three years of taking what his father had given to him and passing it on to them. All boiled down to this command. Love one another. How do you think you can tell if you're growing as a Christian? 
How do you know? You might look to deep spiritual experiences that you're having. You know, maybe, maybe a growing sense of closeness to God, a stronger desire to know him, to come to him through the Bible, to, to, to pray to him. Maybe, maybe a deeper feeling in your soul when you think about him or sing about him or hear a sermon about him. I hope that's true of your experience right now. I hope you are feeling closer and closer to God. That's what we're going for. You, 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 might, you might also look to all that you're learning about God. Maybe think that you're growing as a Christian because you know more and more and more about him. I hope you're learning about God, and I hope you love it. He is worth knowing about. And if you dive into the study of him, you study the Bible deeply to know who he is and what he's done, you will go down deeper and deeper into that well, and you will never reach the bottom as long as you live. That is, there is that much of him to know, and he is that worth your time I hope you're studying the Bible with friends and reading good Christian books and showing up early for Sunday Bible study classes right here at 9 a.m. every Sunday before worship. I hope you're doing all of that. And if you do, you will benefit from it. You might also look, you might also look at the way you're serving. Serving the church or the community. All your religious activity. You might look at that and see in it wonderful signs that Jesus is his love is so satisfying to you that it's overflowing to other people around you and you're thinking less of yourself and more of the needs of those around you. All of these things can be important signs of growth as a Christian. But in John 15, verse 12, Jesus is zeroing in our attention on another sign. What from his perspective is the master sign. A sign apart from which all of these other signs of growth as a Christian may be unhelpful and even deceptive to you. He's saying you can see you're growing as a Christian when you see your love for his people growing stronger and stronger. Paul, the apostle, echoes what Jesus is saying here in 1 Corinthians 13. One of the most famous parts of any of his letters he talks about love. And he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see what he means? He's talking here about religious experience, I think. There's, I could be having unbelievable, transcendent experiences and think what I have going on in me is God at work in me. But if I don't have love, it's just noise. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. I don't care how many books you read or how well you can reproduce what you read there. And if I give away all I have, he says, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you see how Paul is echoing Jesus? You might have been singing your heart out in here earlier. You might have felt like one of those songs we sang just ushered you through a portal to the gates of heaven right here, right now, this morning. But if you don't have love for others down here on earth, whatever that was that you experienced was not fruit produced by the vine that is Christ. You might be a total theology nerd like me. 
You might be able to put all the prophets on a timeline from memory. Which one goes where? You might be able to parse out the difference between the persons of the Trinity and and know which church councils hashed out which of those differences against which particular heretics. You might have all knowledge, as Paul puts it. But if you don't have love, that's no sign that you're growing as a Christian. It may be all that knowledge is about you. Maybe that's your way that you figured out to rise above the crowd. The chief sign that Christ is in you and you are in him shows up in how you relate to others. What you're looking for is love. And it's worth saying again right here uh, that this love Jesus is talking about is specifically a love within the church, a love for one another, he says, talking to his followers, his community that he's founding as this new beginning for what life together on earth should look like. He's saying your love for one another here in this context is where you can tell that you're bearing fruit and growing as a Christian. And friends, this is right at the heart of why a local church is so important for our growth as Christians. Why we we just can't bear the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about on our own in isolation. To to grow in the way that matters to Jesus, we we can't just retreat into our private prayer closets as much as we might love alone time with him. We can't just escape out into nature for the peace and the quiet that, and the solitude that it offers us, even though in nature we're seeing evidence of his goodness and beauty as the creator. And we can't just surround ourselves in a library full of great books as awesome as that would be. For us to grow as Christians, for us to bear the fruit Jesus redeems us in order to bear, we got to mix it up with people, like real ones, the ones with real needs and real problems, and real awkward personalities. I mentioned, uh, I mentioned last, uh, that earlier today that next Sunday we're starting up a class on what it means to be a member of a local church, how that's different from just attending a church, and why it's really, really important to be part of one. And here I'm just going to give you a little preview of what that class says. It had that, that the idea of church membership, guys, it has a whole lot to do with this central command that Jesus is giving us at the, right at the heart of what it is to be a Christian and to grow as a fruit-bearing branch on his vine. Because love is easy to be on board with in theory. It's really difficult to live with in practice. I got a great-looking T-shirt that says, love one another right on the front easy to wear that t-shirt but real love is no ideal it is concrete and specific it comes with names it comes with backstories it comes with conflict and if love is that costly and we're all so busy and there's so many directions we could be looking with our time and energy there's always more that we could be doing how are we going to make sure that we are doing the central work Jesus puts in front of us with this command. We have to be intentional about that. We have to decide, you know what? I'm planning for obedience to this command. I'm going to build my life around a specific obedience to this command. That's, that's one of the main reasons we join churches. We say, you know what? These aren't the only people in the world. They're not the only people that Jesus loves. 
But these are people in the world. These are people Jesus loves, and they're enough for me. I'm going to love them. These are the people I'm going to aim my life at loving. Because, friends, this, this command is worth that kind of intentionality. It is worth that kind of binding commitment. And without that kind of intentionality, without that kind of commitment, it'll be easy to settle for just a T-shirt wearing kind of love for one another. No one thinks it's a bad idea to love one another. But we want to bear fruit, don't we? We want to grow. If we're growing as Christians, if we're abiding in the vine that is Jesus, what fruit will we bear? How will we love? Well, you will love what Jesus loves. You will love his people. That's point number one. Here's point number two. If you're plugged into this vine, not only will you love what Jesus loves, you will love in the way Jesus loves. You will love in the way Jesus loves. There is more to this central command than simply the command to love one another. The command is to love one another as I have loved you. Verse 12, you see it? It's Jesus' love for us that sets the shape and the weight of the fruit that he's going to bear through us. This is a very specific kind of love that he has in mind. And in verse 13... He gives us a preview of how he's going to go on to love them. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what he means by love. That's the kind of love that he will bear out in the lives of those who are plugged into him. I wonder, what do you normally mean when you say you love something or someone? When I say that I love the brisket at Shotgun Willie's right here in our neighborhood, I mean I find it to be absolutely delicious. I mean that I am intensely attracted to it. That, that I wish to consume it at every opportunity. When I say that I love fall, I mean I love all the goodies that come my way at this time of year. I love the beautiful leaves right across the street from my home office window. Some of them are about to turn orange. Little clumps of them already are. I love that. I love that all the best sports come together at exactly the same time in the fall. I love the soups and the desserts that we've randomly assigned to this time of year. Which is to say, I love fall for all that I get out of fall. I love it for what it brings to me, for what I consume in it. I think love, as we tend to use it, often focuses like this on an attraction that we feel to something or to someone, usually because of something good that we get from that something or that someone. Jesus turns that upside down. He doesn't say that's not a thing. Jesus surely loves his friends for some of the goodness and beauty that he as their maker put into them. But that's not all he means by love. He has a greater love in mind in verse 13 he has his love in mind they don't know it yet but but he's not speaking hypothetically when he says greater love has no one than this that someone uh someone just for the sake of consideration lays down his life for their for his friends he's talking about him he's talking about what he's about to do just hours from now 
He's already used language like this. In John 10, when he talked about himself as the good shepherd, what makes him good as a shepherd is that he intends to lay down his life for his sheep. That's what he says. I go to the wolves knowing what's going to happen to me and on purpose so that they can live. Or he means what, what John will later say in his letter, 1 John 3.16. By this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us. There's at least two things Jesus showing us about this love that he's talking about with himself as our model, the kind of love that he shows, this kind of love that, that he wants to bear as fruit in his people's lives. At least a couple things in the fact that he laid down his life for us. Number one, he went first. He took initiative. His life wasn't taken from him. What he said in John 10 is that no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And nobody was asking me to do it either. It wasn't because they deserved it. It wasn't because they were begging me for it. I did it because I wanted it for them. I took the initiative. You hear the echo? Jesus is one who loves on his terms. He moves first. He planned this love and he's following through. And not only did he go first, he went all the way. He paid the cost, every bit of it. He held back nothing. He literally poured out his life for the good of his friends so that they could live through him. In this little verse, Jesus is giving us just a tiny taste of what we as Christians call the gospel, the good news that the whole Bible is meant to communicate to us. What the Bible tells us is that we were created by God. There's only one. And that God is the God who made us. And he made us partly to know him, to know and love him, to depend on him, to see how good and glorious he is, to see what a gift it is to have him providing for us and not the other way around. But the Bible also says that, that in our sin, we rejected him so that we could take his place, that we prefer our ways to his ways. We'd rather go at our own than depend on and follow him. That in, in essence, even when we don't realize we're doing it, when we disobey him, we're saying no thanks to all that he is and all that he offers. We're saying, I'm good. We're saying, I've got this. My life on my terms. That broke our relationship to him. One of the hard things on the way into becoming a Christian, one of the hard things to understand and connect with can often be the seriousness of what I'm talking about now as sin. It doesn't always feel that serious to us. And God isn't a sinned against party that we can easily see or understand. I bet you've sinned against a person in your life that matters to you. And you've seen how serious that is. Maybe it ruined a relationship that you have. And I'll bet... You can at least imagine how serious it is to commit treason against a government with the authority to command you and then punish you for treason. What the Bible tells us about our sin against God is that it's kind of like those two things coming together. There is the deeply impactful and personal sin that you might have tasted in a broken relationship that you broke and the grievous offense against the rightful Lord of all that happens anytime someone commits treason against their own government. On an infinite scale, those two things have come together when we chose to disobey God. It's a big deal. 
And what the Bible says, God has set as the appropriate and just and right penalty for our sin against him is for us to lose the lives that he gave us in the first place. But Jesus, Jesus laid down his life for his friends so that his friends, all who trust in him, would not have to lose theirs. His love went all the way. As John would put it in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, when you know that love, when you abide in that love, to use Jesus' language here, you will bear fruit that looks and tastes like that love. You won't just love what he loves, his people. You will love in the way that he loves. You will lay down your life for his people. You'll show love to brothers and sisters where you take the initiative. You go first to do them good and you willingly pay whatever you've got to give. Friends, Jesus has shown us right here what we should be looking for in a local church. Can you see that? Of course, the very first thing that you got to look for in a local church is Jesus. He matters most. It's all about him. Without him as our hope, without him as our fruit-bearing power at work in us to bring change to our lives, we don't have anything we don't have anywhere to stand. We don't have anything to offer. We don't have any hope in life and in death. Jesus has to be there first. But if Jesus is there, what should we be looking for in a local church? Friends, what we're looking for, if you boil it all down, is we're looking for a people for whom we can pour out our lives as he poured out his for us. That's what you're looking for. Give me that, and I'm satisfied. That's what fruit-bearing Christians will say. If we're bearing the fruit of love that Jesus' branches always bear through him, then, then what we're looking for in a local church, it won't be that we love the music style as much as we do love it. It won't be that we love the architecture of beautiful buildings like this one. It won't be that you love the winning personality of the main teachers of whatever church you happen to be sitting in this morning. And it won't be that you love the specific kinds of people who also happen to come to that church. All those things might be there. They might be there as icing on a cake. But those aren't the key. The key to satisfaction in a local church over the long haul, if Christ is at the center of it, is the opportunity that church gives you to pour out your lives for friends for whom Jesus poured out his life. A church gives you an opportunity to obey this command. That's what it's for. And getting that is how you stay satisfied in one. There is so much joy available to us, guys, if this is what we're looking for when we come to church. If we come to obey him, we live to obey our king. He laid down everything for us. What does he want? Oh, this is what he wants. I can do that here. For one thing, it just guts one of the main enemies of joy in a local church when this is what you come looking for. When you come looking for a chance to obey Jesus, 
to pour out your life for people he poured out his life for. It'll gut one of the main enemies of joy in a local church. I think our tendency, one of the main enemies of joy in a church is when we sit back and evaluate how well other people are loving us. Sometimes we can hear uh, talk a lot like what I've just laid out for you. You know, that Jesus as model. We're going to love one another as Jesus has loved the church. We're going let to it, give it all up. We're going to lay it all down for one another. You can hear that. And, and sometimes you can think, that all sounds great, but around here, that's just talk. Nobody's loving me like that. I would love to be pursued like Jesus pursued me. I need help. I'm not getting it. Maybe that's how you're feeling right now. And if you are, I, I know it feels terrible. Nobody wants to feel like that. It's miserable. And, and let me say this. It might be that you're also right about how people have failed to pursue you so far or in this time. But how you respond in this moment is so very important. Because, friend, you're in a danger zone spiritually right now, if that's what you're feeling. Because here's what your tendency is going to be. Your tendency, your temptation will be to pull back even further. To move into a kind of analysis mode and wait to see how long it takes people to see that you're waiting on them to see. And nobody will survive the kind of scrutiny of that microscope. I have, uh, many years ago, I remember, a, I remember a friend, a member, frustrated with how she'd been treated at the church. And she said that when she, did, when she realized she wasn't feeling well cared for, she decided to wait and see how long it took for somebody to reach out to her. How long can I go incommunicado before somebody will realize it and, and, and come to me? Once you've decided to make that kind of test, once you've decided to put that to your friends, it's only a matter of time before the community is poisoned for you. And Jesus' command has given you another way to go with what you're feeling this morning, if that's you. Jesus is showing you another path out of it. Because if your growth as a Christian will look like you bearing fruit of love like his love for you, then in precisely because you're feeling the way you are this morning, you got a chance to obey him and to go first. To lay down your life on your initiative, not waiting, but going. Jesus says that will bring full joy into your life. The other way certainly won't. For another thing, if you come, if you come looking to a, for a community with whom to obey Jesus, if that's what you're looking for in a local church, is a chance to lay down your life for those that Jesus died to, to save. You know the payoff of that? You will always find exactly what you're looking for in a local church. Because you will always have a chance to pour out your life for other people. You can always lay down your life to build them up. That is, that, those opportunities are never taken. They are ever new and always expanding. You can get exactly what you're looking for, even this morning. Uh, last month, uh, a bunch of us had an awesome time at 
at a, a men's retreat that Josh Gibson organized for us out at Pickett State Park. Back in August, we did this. A bunch of us did. Uh, Josh took initiative. He saw a need. He loves his church. He, he planned something for all of us to, to use to, to get to know each other better and go deeper in our friendships and get the encouragement that we need. While we were there, Bobby Reed and Brian Krebs spent what seems to me about 80% of the total time that we were there in the kitchen serving us, making hot dogs, making eggs and bacon, cleaning up the huge messes that all of us were making. And I remember going back there and telling those guys thank you a few different times, heard other people doing it. These guys were back there grinning like they just won the lottery. They didn't act, they didn't experience that as pouring themselves out for us. They saw a need. These men need to be built up. They need to be encouraged in Christ. And they saw themselves as providing the context in which that could happen. They laid down themselves so that we could be built up. Christians do that. Not just do it. Christians live for that. And these brothers didn't. They didn't notice what it had cost them to serve us. They noticed the payoff of this opportunity God had put in front of them to serve us. They were feasting, in other words, on the full joy Jesus promised when we obey his commands. I wonder, friends, what do you notice and comment on most when you're sacrificing yourself for other people? Do you notice how hard it is for you to do it? Or how thankful you are for the opportunity to do it? Do you notice mostly how much it costs you? Or how good the Lord has been to give you something you could share? Do you notice how great the sacrifice is? Or how little compared to what he gave up for you? I'm not asking these questions to shame you if you don't currently, right now, in this moment, experience the full joy that I just described, there will be many days for all of us when we don't. What I'm doing now is showing you where to go with what you feel. Because a Christian wants to bear fruit. A Christian wants to obey Jesus' commands to love in the way that he has loved. And so that means when we're not feeling it, the solution has got to be to look to him in prayer, just as Jesus says to do here, to ask for the Father's help because this fruit comes as his power at work in us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If you're not feeling it, pray to him and see what he does. And this sets up the last thing I want to tell you with these last few minutes. A third thing from these verses about what what kind of fruit Jesus wants to bear, about what fruit we will bear if we're plugged into this vine. This is going to be a fruit that testifies to his power, not ours. Here's number three. In this vine, you will love for the reason Jesus loves. Not just who Jesus loves, not just in the way that Jesus loves, but you will love for the reason that Jesus loves. That's to glorify God. That's his horizon. That's his end game. That's what he wants to see happen every time. He wants his father glorified by his love for his people. I think that's what Jesus is showing us in verses 14 to 16. I mean, we we know he's talking about love all through this paragraph because look at verse 12 and verse 17. In verse 12, he says, love one another as I have loved you. That's my commandment. 
In verse 17, he says, these things I command you so that you'll love one another. Two brackets. Everything in between is about that topic. What does it look like for us to love one another? Verses 14 to 16 are meant to stir up that kind of love. But I want to admit to you, it's not immediately clear how these verses stir us to loving one another in the way Jesus wants us to. I think we've got to walk through them carefully for you to see what he's getting at. The first thing Jesus does in verse 14 is talk about friendship. Specifically, the, the, what his friendship is based on. Verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Sounds to me like right there, he's telling us what his friendship is based on. His friendship is based on our obedience to him. And that sounds kind of like the kid in elementary school who's always offering to be your best friend if you do exactly what he wants you to do. And then says he's not your friend anymore as soon as you don't have anything that he wants. Jesus is not like that. We just saw that he, he lays down his life for his friends. He's not like that. Obedience, as one New Testament scholar puts it, is not what makes them his friends. It's what characterizes his friends. His friends want to be what, about what he is about. It's in verse 15 that Jesus shows us what makes them his friends. It's not their obedience. They obey because they're already his friends. But in verse 15, he shows us what, what it is to be his friend. No longer do I call you servants, he says. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. What made him his friend? They passed the test. They strung together enough days of on balance goodness to get into the circle. No. What made them his friends is his decision to bring them in on everything he's doing. To show them what his father showed him that sets his trajectory for his whole life. And it's not just that. It's not just that he's making them insiders. That he's not just pulling back a curtain and showing them the plan for how God will show his glorious love for sinners to the world. Not just that. Jesus is also bringing them into the plan. Sending them on a mission of their own to carry on the work that he began. That's verse 16. You didn't choose me, he said. I chose you. Why? And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. He's brought them in on the big picture of what his life and eventually his death and resurrection will be all about. So they could go and play their role in what he's doing. So they could go and bear the fruit that will last. Now work this back with me. The fruit that comes from a branch plugged into Jesus is love for what Jesus loves in the way that Jesus loves. That fruit will look like a steadfast, initiative-taking, self-giving love for one another. That's the fruit they're appointed and sent out to bear in the world. So what's the connection between their love for one another, that fruit we've been talking about this whole time, and this insider knowledge Jesus has given them about the work he's doing? How does their love for each other factor into his mission that he received from his Father? I think Jesus pointed us the way already back in chapter 15, verse 8. Look what he says there. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Their love for one another, our love for one another here, glorifies God. It's that love that offers a showcase for his power at work in us. It is, it is that love that shows he's producing something in these people they could never manage on their own. It's that love that's hung up out there for all to see like a billboard or an advertisement. It is good to belong to him. All this talk about love for one another, about being chosen for this special insider knowledge, it, it can all, if we're not careful, it can, all, it can all communicate that there's something super insular going on here. As if, as if what we have is for us to enjoy. As if a local church is like, kind of like Wakanda from Black Panther. You know, before they decided to open up about their technologies and share that goodness with the world. In Wakanda, everything was awesome. Because they had things that were unique to them, proprietary, and they didn't share it in order to protect it. And it could sound like that's what Jesus is calling for. A kind of world within the world that's, that's isolated and hunkered down. But with the local church, it's exactly the opposite. What Jesus is saying, I think, and what the rest of the Bible contributes to, is that our love for each other here as Christians within a local church, it's part of our evangelism strategy. It's part of how we reach the world. It's part of how, how we offer what we offer in Jesus to everyone that we can offer it to. Paul described himself as an ambassador pleading with people, be reconciled to God. You can have peace with him. You can know the love that I've known. Think about a local church's love for one another as showing what Paul is telling, as a chance to say, look, you can have this. Jesus makes this possible, not us. If we can experience a love like this one, anyone can, as long as you come into it through Jesus. He's the vine. We're just the branches. And it is good to be a branch in that vine. Come on in. There's room for everyone. Jesus is giving us the purpose, the horizon, the goal for our relationships of love with one another. It's to glorify God and invite everyone in who will come. And will you pray with me that the Lord will help us to be faithful to this mission that he's given? Lord, we do sense just how, just how beyond us it is to love in the way that Jesus has loved us. Surely we've sensed that even this morning as we've thought or spoken in ways that didn't reflect that love. And we feel the weight of the mission you've given us. We so want to see people see what we have seen, experience what we have experienced in Christ. And we know that, that you've given us a role in that, a role that feels so much too big for us. And we thank you. For that very reason, we thank you for the fruit-bearing vine that is Jesus, whose power works through us despite ourselves, who can use even tools like us to do his good work. And we pray that he would. We pray that we would bear the fruit of love for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.